In this exciting episode, we have a very special guest, Claire Hall, an established life coach with a lot of knowledge to share. We speak about common issues we all may struggle with, from pressures of a busy lifestyle, distractions by our phones, to anxious thoughts, and much more. Hopefully relatable. Hopefully not boring. You're You're listening listening to Relatable Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Relatable, episode 38. And in this episode, we have a very, very special guest, Claire Hall. Now, I met, I reached out to Claire um, via Google. I, I was interested in life coaching and I typed in Google life coach in Australia and she came up and we reached out by email and now she's here in person on this, on this recording. So w- welcome, Claire. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for asking me. Isn't technology awesome? We can it just is, just like that. <laughs> it is really awesome. And um, what's more awesome is you. Um, to be very honest, uh, don't mean to offend you. I don't know how to say this nicely, but you're the first proper guest um, that's not in our friend circle. So this is kind of a big deal for us, if we're being honest. And also, you're you're the oldest guest. And maybe maybe that's a bad word, oldest. You're the <laughs> wisest guest. And, and you are wise because you are a life coach. That's very funny. I'll take wise over old, definitely. <laughs> Joyce, please don't be too offended. Um, so just a, just a bit about you, Claire, based on what I read. You you were born in... Um, UK. UK, in that's right. In England. I was going to say London, but it wasn't London. It was... Um, small oh town oh do you know i didn't even think that was yeah I did, I did my research no no no. it's definitely out there on the web everything is so you, you <laughs> moved to australia and you two months before your visa ended you found your husband you also fell in love with australia so you decided to live here you started your coaching life coach career around 2004 you're you're a mother of two children who love playing soccer um <laughs> And and my question to you, firstly, is how, how the heck do you even manage all that? <laughs> I am very impressed with all of your research, Derek. That's amazing. Um, I manage it by, well, I, who says I manage it? <laughs> I well, just, sorry, yeah. Yeah, on, on your website, you mentioned you teach your clients specific techniques um, to manage time, and you say you apply it to your own life. Absolutely. I do, I, I do. So what it is is that... Um, who's not busy i mean really when it comes down to it we're all leading incredibly busy lives and what's so fascinating is that this year in all years like we've all been kind of brought to our knees and the world just stood still for a moment so i think um particularly in sydney where i'm based and i think you guys are in sydney too aren't you yep yeah we have a, a really um we have a bit of a unspoken status around how busy we are have you ever noticed that i have i have a lot of a lot of my friends say like um if we don't if we stop working it feels like we're gonna die and compared to other countries they just like really relax they're chill after work they just um they go out for drinks but like it feels like here you just have to work all the time at least i feel like that personally what about you era do you feel that way yeah i feel like it's always our lives here in Australia or Sydney at least it's always fast-paced whether or not that has to do with work it's always like you have to be doing something you know what I mean it's like you can't just sit down at home and relax without feeling like I don't know you're not progressing I feel yeah yeah so true it's like a bit of a curse almost and it's Mm. um when you say to people how are you 
they reply with this, I'm so busy. And it's like, wow, you're so busy. You must be so important. You must be, you know, achieving so much in the world. When, in fact, we kind of know that we as human beings get incredibly distracted. So we could probably do quite a lot of the, the tasks that we need to do in our professional life in less time if we allowed ourselves to become more focused, less distracted, and give ourselves permission to feel that it's okay if we stop work at a certain time, make that commitment to ourselves, and then just honour our word. So actually honour the fact that we've said to ourselves, I'm going to go surfing at five o'clock tonight. And you yeah. go and you do it, okay, because it's so easy to push our priorities to the back and put other people's priorities ahead of us. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting and a very good point. Um, on that note about distraction, do you think it's, it's due to our society or do you think it's due to technology? Because I noticed in your email, you mentioned like sent from distraction device. And being, <laughs> being a millennial myself, I, I'm going to be honest, I look at a screen more than I look in real life or more than I go surfing, you know? Yeah. Look, it's a real, it's a real, um, I was going to say problem, but it's not a problem. It's reality now. This is how we live. And as a mother of, of two young boys, they are um, nine and soon to be 11. I can't now parent them without a device. Like they cannot have a childhood without a device because on some level, they would definitely think I am doing some level of punishment on them <laughs> that they can't have a device in their life. So we need to know how can we live in alignment with these distractions? And I, I do have that on my email, the end of my emails and most of my correspondence is that, you know, this was sent by my distraction device because if I call it that, I know and I'm keeping it at the forefront of my mind that my life is not in my screen. And I often say to clients, why don't you try a either social media detox or a bit of a device detox? And it's not that you switch the phone off and you throw it in the freezer for the next six days. It's nothing like that. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure if a, a phone would survive the freezer that long. Um, Nowadays, they will. Nowadays, they will with the technology. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Well, it's as simple as just going onto flight mode. I know that now when I'm when I'm shopping or when I'm not at work, I do put my phone onto flight mode, especially if it's near my body. For some reason, I just don't want this device to be um, radiating next to my body. So it's a really good excuse to make for me to turn it off. The other thing I've noticed as well is that um, I don't need to take all of my call. And so therefore, I put it on do not disturb. If someone rings twice, as in an emergency, then I will get the call. So if I really need to concentrate, so for example, when I was writing my book, I had to put the phone in another room. I had to get it away from me because procrastination and writing go very, very well together. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Dan. Yeah, that, that's, that's very interesting. Um, what I want to ask you is maybe it's like, would you agree that it's almost like you have to train your mind to be free from that distraction to sit down and actually write your book, for example. But what if you don't have, what if you don't have the track record? What if like it's your first time you've been looking at your phone for the past 10 years and you want to stop, but it's not as easy as, you know, cold Turkey. Like you, you have to ease into it. And what if you can't ease into it because you give into the resistance of these distraction devices? Great question. Um, well, first of all, don't rely on willpower. Okay. It's overrated. At the end of the day, 
if we try and rely on our willpower to not touch the phone, it's kind of crazy. It's counterintuitive. That phone is built and designed to get our attention. There's certain research out there, that, especially um, on kids' brains, is that it's like giving them heroin. They can't say no. It is that addictive. What it does in the brain is the same mechanical, oh, sorry, same chemical response as what a, a really hardcore addicted drug will do. Yeah. So to turn it off is, and to and to sit with it next to you, it's like, you know, it's, it's really, really hard to do. So the other thing is don't set yourself up for failure. Set yourself up for success, which means that you give yourself the boundaries, give yourself the commitment that I'm going to keep my phone off for the next 30 minutes, maybe an hour. I'm going to put it somewhere else and I'm going to any sort of like niggling thought, you know, what if this person calls me? What if that person's calling me? Just send them a text and say I'm not on my phone for the next hour. Like, so there's nothing in your mind that keeps, I call them brain monkeys. It's like they just tap on your mind and they go, hey, what if such and such wants to call? What if you've got to check this? And, oh, you really ought to check the weather for the barbecue tomorrow. Like all this little stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can anchor into yourself, anchor into the fact that you're making the commitment, the decision, and that you're worthy of taking this time out for the rewards that you're going to and get for having that hour distraction free time of committing fully to whatever whatever it is you're doing that reward is going to feel awesome and amazing and hopefully that will give you more motivation next time to keep the phone away yeah that's that's very very what, nicely worded yeah what what could you do in place of a phone because i find you know when i try to put my phone away i i need something to distract me sometimes like I'll, I'll try to be away from my phone, but then I find, uh, yeah, I have to substitute it for something else. Well, that's a really interesting question, Eris. So you mean yeah. you have to be what fiddling with something with your hands, or what is it? Yeah, or just keeping my mind distracted. Sometimes, yeah. Keeping your mind distracted. Well, you know what? I have to ask the question: What are you having to distract yourself from? Oh, uh, that's deep. Oh, that is deep. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, honestly, sometimes I find that I need something to distract me during times where I'm like anxious or worrying about something. So rather than kind of, I guess, uh, knowing how to face my problems with certain issues, I'll I'll want to just kind of keep my mind off it and and then try to let time deal with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Yeah. Sometimes that can be a, what I call a healthy, wholesome distraction. You've got something yeah. going on. So sometimes um, we can get, we can have something, a persistent thought in our head that is crying out for attention, but it makes us really just uncomfortable or anxious or stressed to actually face the problem. And sometimes it's not appropriate to be facing that problem, you know, in that moment in time. So to have like conscious tools that you use to reduce the anxiety so what actually happens in the brain is that something externally will stimulate our mind send the signal to the brain and say something's wrong now nothing has to actually be wrong it is an event takes place and our brain our mind makes an interpretation of that event so let's imagine that um, every sunday night your mum calls you at six o'clock without fail Okay. Now, for years, she's been calling you at six o'clock. It's your catch up time. You really look forward to it. It looks great. Now, last Sunday, she didn't call you. 
Now, so the event never took place. And so the mind got the interpretation that well, she's obviously stopped loving me or something's more important than me. And that's a stressful resp response because the brain works on very primitive needs, the need to feel status, the need to feel certainty, control, fairness, how we relate to people, a sense of belonging. It's got all these core primary needs. And if one of them's not met or multiple of them at the same time, the brain, instead of going, well, maybe a phone's broken or maybe she's busy, it jumps to an emotional response such as, well, maybe I'm just not lovable. Maybe I upset her. What could I have said to upset her? And can you see how that interpretation now spins us off into these, yeah. these stories yeah. that aren't even true? So if we can catch that, if we can catch that moment where we start to feel like we're being hijacked by what I call the brain monkeys in the head, the, you know, the fear monkey, the not good enough monkey, the anxiety monkey, you name it, the perfectionist monkey, that's a big one. If we can catch that brain monkey, catch ourselves going into that, in that story, we have this wonderful moment where we can, re we can basically rewire our brains. It's called neuroplasticity. And we can consciously, mindfully change the direction in which our brain is currently being programmed. Now, if you can do that, firstly, that is amazing. And you, it's a life skill that we should all have. When we do that, our brain has still been triggered. So basically, our brain's still being triggered into a, a fear, a fight, flight, or response, like a, the anxiety monkey has taken over. But instead of playing into it, thinking, I need to be distracted, I have an impulse, I, I have a desire that I must meet immediately, we go, oh, look at that. My brain's been hijacked by this false thinking. And you mindfully breathe through it. You feel the adrenaline, you feel the cortisol, you feel the intense urge to jump on your phone and get distracted. And then by feeling it, naming the emotions, that dissipates it, that erodes it, it wears it away. It, emotions need to be felt and then they'll go away. Trouble is, we're not being really taught to feel our emotions. And so we bottle them up. And in my work, that's what I help people do is, I mean, I had a woman a few weeks ago and she was she had emotions stored in her lungs, in her chest for 52 years. Wow. wow. That is a very long time. <laughs> it's, it's a super it's, long time. It's probably longer than you two have been on the planet together. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Wow. So it's almost like some sort of trauma energy, that, that some sort of habit that just keeps building and building. And, and your job, Claire, is to release that trauma almost and... And then they can think clearly. And almost everything that you mentioned about like the monkey brain is almost like you're training them to be more mindful. And by being more mindful, you slowly build up that track record. So then you can break like certain old habits. Wow. That is very, very hard job. Like I, I don't even, I don't even know how, how did you even begin doing that in the first place? And would you agree that we all have some sort of trauma energy inside of us that we need to release? I'm pretty sure if I was chatting to Eckhart Tolle, he wouldn't have any. <laughs> He's probably yeah. trauma. <laughs> Possibly. They would be the only two people that spring to my mind that don't hold on to stuff, that truly live in the present moment. Yeah. So everyone, and, I, and it's not just about having, for example, um, a specific traumatic childhood, for example. It's not that. It is the interpretation we put onto things. So the first thing I was ever taught when I did my counseling um, qualification was someone can come to see you and their mother has died someone else can come to see you 10 minutes later 
and their dog has died. And the person who's lost the dog is 10 times more traumatized, more in more pain than the person that's lost their mother. So you can never, you can never presume what people are going through to start with. And we all interpret things completely differently. So I've had clients that have walked into my office and said, I've had the best childhood in my, like anyone could ask for. It was the most awesome. I was so loved. I was so nurtured. Everything about my parents, I adore. And now I can't do anything in my adult life because nothing will live up to that time of my life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. So it's a case by case scenario. And it's like almost like we all have our own individual problems based on our circumstances. And by circumstances, it's um, the way you were born, the environment, et cetera. Absolutely. It, it, that is so true. It's just everyone's unique. And, and yet, even though I'm saying everyone's unique, we all experience very, very similar core beliefs that we're not enough, that we don't connect to people, we don't belong. And they sort of manifest in really, uh, really strange ways in which we wouldn't even think that's how it would present in life. But when we peel it down, and that's why I like to work with the subconscious and use hypnosis to really get people to access 95% of their mind is in the subconscious, is, is subconscious, basically. They only have access to 5% of their thoughts. Yeah, this is, this is a concept that I've seen on like a YouTube video, you know, like self-help, like they, they do that clickbaity title where it's just what you just mentioned, 95% of, of everything is the subconscious. Can you explain further what this means and perhaps even dumb it down in quotation marks so we understand? Yeah. Because <laughs> it sounds complicated, but maybe it's not. It's so easy. Basically, you're born, and from the moment you're born, you basically have been filling this filing cabinet full of files of information. So that's how you make sense of the world. You don't have a sense of self when you're born. You're just this big openness. And so in order to understand the world around you, you your brain just creates all of these files. Now, imagine that filing cabinet is filled or actually let's imagine at four years old you get bitten by a dog right or even two years old and it's traumatic like it's really hurt or maybe the dog just growled at you didn't even need to piss the skin that file is pretty it's got a, a big red tag on it going important file we must not go near dogs dogs are dangerous dogs are scary it could kill me so that file goes away now a 40 year old woman will, or man will come to me and say you know, my family really wants a dog, but I absolutely hate them. I'm terrified about phobia of dogs. So you can see subconsciously in their filing cabinet, there's a big file that says dogs, be aware. Now they are operating as a 40-year-old person with two-year-old programming. Yeah. It's not been upgraded. Wow. Yeah. So think about, you know, where in our lives have we stopped upgrading our thinking? It's it's really incredible if, a, if a, an event happens that we deem to be quite traumatic that causes pain to us. And that's not physical pain, that's emotional pain too, or social pain. If, if something happens and we, we feel it and, it and our brain goes, no, 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 we're not going to go down that again. We're not going to touch that hot oven again. But yeah. that's for people. You know, if you don't do the subconscious work, you're still going to be ruled by that out-of-date file. That's very, very true. Yeah. And, and so in, in how, how does the actual hypnosis session look like? Well, I do a specific type of hypnosis called RTT, yeah. which is Rapid Transformational Therapy, which is part of Marissa Peer's work. And she's incredible. She's come up with this amazing 
process where you basically just go into deep relaxation. So some of my clients are a little bit disappointed that I say, you know what, I'm not going to make you cluck like a chicken. You're always in <laughs> this is not stage hypnosis. All this is is relaxing your mind to such a place. And that's just by counting them downstairs or telling them. I talk them through a meditation and they lay on the couch in my room, in my office, or I do a lot of work in America with women um, in America just through Zoom. And basically you just go to this wonderful state of bliss. And then I say, we're going to go to the cause, the root and the reason for you feeling anxious or whatever it is the issue is. And then their incredible subconscious mind presents these memories. And these memories come up as the most random thing. And you can be, I, I have a lot of RTT myself, and sometimes I'm witnessing it going, did this really happen? And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, this really happened. And I'm feeling this. And, and all those years it's been trapped, and it led me to believe that I had to, for example, keep people happy as a child, or I had to work hard to feel like I was worth something. All these different things, or money's really hard to come by. We have to work hard and money brings arguments to a family. All these different beliefs as a child we pick up that, you know, we carry with us for so long and that comes up in the hypnosis and we heal it, we upgrade it and say, you know what, you're a 40-year-old woman. You don't need to think like a six-year-old. Yeah. And we so do. How, Sorry? Does, does the success rate uh, like also depend on how much that person is willing to let go or believe in the hypnosis? Because I find when I I mentioned to you before um, before this podcast that I listen to the sleep hypnosis when I go to bed, and I find that if my mind's not there or if I'm not willing to let myself go, I don't find it as effective. Yes, good point. Yeah. I do have some resistant clients, very, mm. very rarely. What I actually find more is that I had two this week. I have clients who are very excited about hypnosis really, really want to get into it, really eager to clear out the old past that no longer serves them. And then we get to the hypnosis and I, we find the, you know, the real core of what's going on. And I said, are you ready to let this go? And they say no. Mm -hmm. And what actually happens is what it is, it's a deeper belief that they're not deserving of healing, that they're not worthy of that healing, that living a wonderful life isn't available to them. So then we have to go even further and yeah. then... But for you, Ira, what I would say is um, if, if your mind's ticking over too much and you can't get into that, that lovely um, headspace, sometimes it's really good just to write down what is taking up those thoughts, what is taking up your mind space, because they're crying, trying to get attention. If you put it in a notepad next to your bed, say how you feel about it. So, for example, I'm, um, you know, I, my dog's at the vet's and I feel really anxious. You write it in the notepad and it's gone. Your brain can go great she's got it excellent switch off <laughs> oh, tomorrow. Yeah. so just like a brain dump before bed and a feeling okay yeah the yeah. feelings are just as important as the thoughts if not more important. yeah that's interesting I, I like how you mentioned claire about the the fact that what if your clients are so tied to their identity it seems like they, they're not willing to i like to use the word paradigm it's like you're trying to convince them of a different world but they're stuck in this worldview. They they don't even see the other worldview. And and how would you break it down to them that to tell them that you can live the good life? You mentioned they couldn't, they don't believe they can live the good life, but it is there. How would you convince them to do that? What is the deeper work you're talking about? Okay, so first of all, I get them to convince themselves. So if somebody 
says, you know, I can't get rid of this people-pleasing need. And normally by this stage, it's anchored to a part of their body. And this is really fascinating. This is where my Reiki kind of comes into the session, is that they can physically feel, and also using their like creative part of their mind, they can feel the block within their body, which is stale, stagnant energy that is stuck. It literally is a block. And so I say to them, well, you can keep this people-pleasing. However, what is it giving you in your life? And they can rattle off a huge list of all the negative things that it's giving them. Now, you see, that's rationally, there is no reason to keep that anymore. So they come to their own conclusion that, wow, I'm, it's not even that I know what I do want. It's just I know what I don't want. I don't want to be driven by this any longer. They can have the fear of, well, what else? And I'll tell them what else, which is you're enough. You can have anything you want. And we create a hypnotic audio, a personalized audio. So their brain will listen every single night for up to three to four weeks, programming their mind to what they do want because they've just spent the last decade or so telling their mind what they didn't want and getting the results they don't want. So if the mind does not say, this is a good thought, this is a bad thought, this will help her, that will not help her, it will just go, well, you tell me it, I'm neutral. I'll just follow it. Interesting. Wow. So is it almost like you said, it, it's like you put them into a, not a fear state, but a state where you, you tell them there, there is, there's only upside, you know, where you're going now, you're going nowhere, but you can take this upside in a way. Well, yeah, no, not many people choose pain over pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. And I, I was also going to mention, this may be a side tangent, but when you do all these works of helping people tell them, you know, you're enough, you don't need to hold on to this trauma that you might have had in childhood, and then you do, they do this program over three or four months or however long it is, what if they go back into society? What do you think about society and the impact? Um, I think the word's called like social conditioning, how in a way you can argue that society is telling you, you know, you're not enough, you need this. Here's a car commercial. You need to buy this car to be happy. You need to have two houses to be happy. You know, all the all this stereotypes things that we think of as a millennial Mm -hmm. i think it's so important for you guys to spend time with yourselves and when i say that i mean get to know yourself okay get to know who you are because it's only when you've got that strong sense of self that identity that this is who i am as a person in the world and i know that no car brand no designer brand no body shape or you know you name it nothing will ever take away from me the core truth that I am here because I'm enough I'm meant to be here there's nothing wrong with me I was born perfect I was born as a little baby that would cry and scream and demand to have all of the needs met and that's because we're born with high self-esteem high self-worth and that, wow. as you say, life just, you know, wears us down and tells us we're not good enough. But once you know that, you can watch all of it. So now I'm training my two boys and I'm saying, gosh, isn't it interesting that you, you know, you, some people think that owning that, my son's obsessed with Gucci, <laughs> sunglasses is going to turn them into a different person or give them something that they can't give themselves. Of course, obviously, I turn it down to more like 10 year old talk. But, um, and I'm trying to instill in them that this, there's this completeness of who they are. And you guys have been born into a generation, into a society that's just kind of crazy. It like is. It's yeah. a happy 
cope? Like, what do you find are some of the strongest pulls taking you away from your sense of self? Yeah, for, well, for me, like, I know I love how you mentioned that Gucci thing, because when you're someone's like Gucci, that, that is almost social conditioning. And then for me, when I was born, like, I was being told what to do, to be very honest. If you really think about it in this, um, this, this flat level, it's just like when I was born, the nurse, you know, took care of me, you know. And then after that, I was taught by teachers, you know, that, and in a way, you can argue, did the teachers even know what they were doing and why are they teaching me? What makes them credible? And after that, you might go to uni and the lectures are teaching you. So you get their worldview, like how you mentioned, you know, that file gets thought up. And after that, you go to work and then you listen to your boss, for example. And a lot of people fall into this trap where you have that appeal to authority. Like, why is this boss telling me what to do in a way? Like, what, like the stuff like that. And not just that, but other stuff. Like you mentioned, like the Gucci's, you know, like the brands keep trying to sell you something. Um, the foods that you eat, you know, like I, I understand that food is really important and what you eat is somewhat who you are. And, you know, like a lot of fast food companies will advertise, you know, this is healthy, blah, blah, blah. And people just follow each other. And and sometimes in my mind, I just think to myself, who are we even following? Like, who is correct here? Like, we, we're all just like following each other blindly, but who really knows what they're doing? You know, everyone just seems like they know what they're doing. So there's a lot of blur that I, I personally feel. I love that. It is a lot of blur. Absolutely. <laughs> it's complete rubbish. Like, who is anyone to tell you how to live your life? At what point did we surrender our power, our life experience to other people? And the only reason we do that is because we think we're not enough, that we don't have the right, I don't know, intelligence or this or that or and I'm, I'm so passionate about saying to my clients, like, come to me for coaching or hypnotherapy or, or Reiki or whatever it is, but I am not your, I'm not your guru. You are the guru in your life. I will help you. And I will tell you all the different authors and podcasts and things to watch and read and all the people that have got an opinion on this. But at the end of the day, you need to sit still and you need to meditate or whatever your thing is to anchor into who you are. And then when you go out and Gucci is, poor Gucci, they're getting a right slam. <laughs> we're, then, we're taking them down. We're taking them down, Claire. <laughs> um, you know, when we see a Gucci advert, we're inoculated against it. We're immune to it because just as, um, let's think of something. If I was to say to you guys, um, oh, gosh, uh, I'm trying to think of a TV show. Okay, I grew up with the Waltons. Do you guys even know what that is? I have no, no clue. Okay, so anyone of my generation, you know, the older time, we, they will be able to connect. <laughs> what I say, when I say the Waltons, like, oh, we love the Waltons. We also used to eat Sunday lunch watching the Waltons. But for you guys, there's no emotional attachment to that, right? You're like, this woman's a bit crazy. What's the Waltons? But we, you can get to that stage when you look at Gucci. Totally mm. unemotional, unattached, and you get to choose. I'm in control i'm in choice and i choose to switch off my radar around anything or any product that doesn't take me closer to being the best version of me i love that that's that's, that's really really good point and and segue to on on towards that point is what is a, you being a life coach claire what is a good life um to you and to your clients or to people in general it seems like a good life isn't necessarily um, the four pillars like health you know should be really healthy you should be really wealthy you should have good relationships to me it seems like 
a big part of your work is to be happy with your identity yourself. Mm. Yeah, because I, I want my clients at the end of their coaching time with me, and I don't sign them up for years on end. I'm like, come in, let's do the work, and then go off and lead your life as quickly as possible. I want them to be a new version of themselves where they can master their thinking. They can know how they go off track, how to pull themselves back on track. So they really, the self-management piece is important. And health, you know, health is number one. You have to have your health. Wealth, we need money. We live in Australia and Sydney, for goodness sake. It's ridiculously expensive. So we need a certain amount of money to live comfortably in order to give us choice. But what's becoming more and more apparent, especially since we've been in lockdown, is that people are coming to me. In fact, a lot of people are coming now saying, I just want to be free of all that all that past, of things that don't serve me. And never in history, you know, in all my 16 years of doing this, have I met so many people so ready to do the hard, like the shadow work, we call it, like face the parts of themselves that they're, they're tired of. Instead of being shamed of it or trying to bury it down they're just like oh my god here we go take it let's get let's go uh, let it let's sorry let's let it go and let's start living a brilliant life that involves people connections belonging people have come down they're like did you guys ever um come across something called the secret um what is that the yeah secret? sounds okay. familiar so it, it was a, a movie slash book that came out probably about 15 years ago now and Oprah Winfrey picked up the movie and the book and everyone read it but what was interesting is that at that time I noticed a shift in my coaching was very much people wanting to gain things I want a bigger house I want more money I want this this I want to acquire whereby now especially after lockdown people want more peace they want to be calm they want to be like at peace with themselves basically yeah that's that's very true. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a lot of um, mind game. Like a, it's like a your brain is like a war. Like there's so much going on. You need to somehow diffuse that war and just be fr- be friends with everyone in your head. If that makes sense. Not not saying schizophrenia. I just mean like the thoughts in your head. Yeah, the brain monkeys. Yeah, the brain need- monkeys. That's it. That's right. Because the war is when you're fighting them. We just need to give them all a big cuddle and say, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Um. It, besides like the the stuff about being okay with yourself uh all that stuff you did mention health is very important and also wealth what about like your career or what about um life purpose because i know a lot of people they might have depression they might be struggling with the question you know why am i here what am i doing um i I'm, i had this experience like existential crisis type thing how would you overcome yeah. that would you just distract yourself would you try to do what you're biologically meant to do which is survive and re- reproduce so for you, for example, you have a husband, you have kids. Is that something that we should all achieve? How? And I know it's a case-to-case basis, but if a client came up to you and said, you know, I'm having these thoughts, what what advice would you give them being a life advice, life coach? Yeah. Okay. Well, the fact you both agreed with that makes me hear that the millennials are really facing this quite intensely. Is that right? Yeah. I, I in my opinion, I think so. Yeah. I, because I am. And, yeah. And I, I think sure. the reason why is because we have everything. You know, back then. Maybe in your times, Claire, like you had to work to get a house. You have to like, work to get some food on your table. But in a way, you know, like even in the Australian government, you know, you can just be here on JobKeeper, for example, and you have accommodation, you have food, you have internet, you have entertainment, you have anything you want. And and because you have everything you want, your brain's just like, 
what's the point of anything you know it's almost like you don't even work for anything you just get everything and i think that makes a lot of, a lot of people unhappy um but i definitely think it's a problem in millennial society absolutely Ira, you agree yeah i agree totally wow you guys might need some coaching <laughs> we all, i think i think we, our whole generation needs coaching <laughs> i'm saying someone needs to write a book for you guys so i i hear exactly what you mean sometimes we need you know people talk about healthy stress and healthy stress is when we have an, a degree of stress that boosts us that we rub up against and we get stronger for and we grow and we we sort of you know expand our potential because things aren't always easy there was a quote by um winston churchill and it goes something along the lines of um kites fly highest against the wind like you've got to push up against something and for you guys i hear you, you it's really hard your survival is secure and that is primary drive for, for us human beings to you know meet all those needs in fact more than your survival your entertainment thrown in there as well yeah. so what's interesting now is that you have a choice your whole generation has a choice you can move forward in a level that because your needs are met maybe you guys have a level of responsibility to improve the world that's, because, sorry, that's very high, sorry i was gonna say that's very um high level thinking that most people are just concerned about themselves that's like a another level yeah that's really interesting what you just said and the reason i say that is not because um i think you guys need to save the planet that's way too much responsibility to put on you but if you get into a cause a project something that is bigger than yourself that is connecting you to a greater cause you get out of yourself your thoughts are not insular they're external and you're making the world a you're making your life better because you're focusing in on relationships on connection on belonging on having a core um community goal or something that is really important so if whenever we find ourselves questioning what's the point we have to really dig a little bit deeper there is and this this is i've heard this analogy quite a few times if you think of human beings we are on this planet and all of us collectively kind of symbolize a human body. Some of us are skin, some of us are lungs, some of us are blood. We all, every single cell in our body has a function to perform. And it's critical and important that we perform that only, that function. So it's, this is why people get unhappy with their work. You know, I hate my nine to five job. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm a blood cell, but I'm doing brain work. Okay. Well, you're never going to be happy, right? Because mm. you're meant to be in the blood. We need to know who we are. I get harping on again about getting into the meditation, get into clear who you are, do, read the book, you know, ask yourself those questions. You know, what is your purpose in life? Because it doesn't have to be some big, grand thing. Find your purpose, get present to it, which is a whole new conversation, but, um, and then go out and do stuff that brings you joy that connects you to something greater than yourself. And then you'll start to do move into more of a space of kind of like, I want to say self-actualization, but it's not necessarily that, but it's, it's tapping into those feelings, those emotions that are an inoculate you against things like depression and anxiety. Mm, that's but very as, nice. As, as a person, like, uh, as a 23 year old and, you know, wanting to find that purpose in life, would you say, it's pretty normal for my age to want to know like where I should be, but not really be there yet because I'm still, you know, 
figuring out my life and who I am. And I have so many years ahead of me to find that out, you know. Absolutely. If you mm. knew you wanted to be at 23, at 63, you might be a little bit bored. Even at 43, you might be a bit bored. Yes. Yeah. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And so yeah. questioning it. But the thing is, you don't beat yourself up in the process. And, you know, I have a bit of a thing with, you know, find my purpose. It's a whole movement out there that people are seeking their one and only true purpose. And when I find it, I will reach happiness. See, that's not entirely true because you can find, and I, I use the term happiness a little bit broadly, but you can find contentment, you can find joy, happiness in every single moment if you drop all the chatter in your head and allow yourself to sink really deep into that present moment and seek out the joy that exists in it. You're not racing towards a destination. You're on this journey for a reason. And if you rush through thinking, oh, I've got to, I've got to be doing what I'm meant to be doing, and I've got 60-year-olds still asking that same question. <laughs> it's just about, you know, you can find so much by just being open to seeing what's out there. that makes sense? That does yeah. make a lot yeah. of sense. No, that's, that, that's really brilliant. And you seem to be, this is your purpose, right? In a way, it's not necessarily life coaching, but it's spreading positivity, like you mentioned, trying to provide a better life for your generation, your children's generation, and the next generation. Yeah, that's a big job, wow. isn't it? That is, a, <laughs> that is a huge job, and that's a lot of responsibility that you've taken, and you seem to, you know, enjoy it. You seem to be radiating. I can hear through your voice. We don't even have video, but, like, the way you talk is, like, <laughs> yeah. you have that passion in your voice. Otherwise, why would you be here? Why would you not just talk like a robot, you know? So it's it's really cool to see someone like you, Claire. Um, I think it's very rare that we see people like you, your personality, um, the the fire in the belly, as they say, um, in real life. Because in in normal life, I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know about if you agree with this, but a lot of people they're stuck in like a duh state, like they're almost just like zombies. Like they they talk in a monotone voice. They're not very happy with their life. Um, so it's very refreshing to see, and it's very inspiring to see. And and I hope I hope that um. People get some value out of this podcast. And um, yeah, so wh where can people find you if they need help with um, any life advice, any business advice? Because I noticed you also do business coaching and any um, counseling in general. Well, firstly, thank you so much for saying all of that. That's really, really beautiful to hear. And I will carry that. So thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and it is true. Like, I, I'd want everyone, everyone deserves to find a career or, or a purpose or a passion that they love and they lose themselves and they lose the track of time. And it's not something that's only available to some people. Anyone and everyone can get it, even if it's stamp collecting. If that's your thing, you do it with all your heart, right? <laughs> um, but if anyone's looking for coaching or counseling, I specialize in fertility um, coaching as well as anxiety, depression, confidence, self esteem, things like that. Um, my website is www.authenticempowerment.com.au and um, that's basically got all access to me on, on Instagram and uh, if you can remind me what my Instagram name is, Derek, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll link it. I'll definitely link it in into the show notes and into the post that we make for sure. <laughs> I can't believe I got awesome. that. <laughs> yeah, that that's, that's a pretty um, bad thing to do, but it's all good. We're in the moment. We're in the present. Okay, I'll forgive myself, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Clear the monkey brain. We're reset. And and I don't usually ask this, but just I know we're trying to wrap up. Just um, really briefly, what are some like immediate steps that someone can take if they're struggling with anything like addiction, stuck to a nine to five job, they have that monkey brain in their head. I know I know you mentioned you know like mindfulness, 
But what what are some like really instant steps? Like for example, fix up your diet, get eight hours of sleep, read book, stop you know cut negative people. Like what what are just sort of some wrap up points? Yeah, okay. Um, you don't have to look very far to find out what you should be doing. Like you just said, you should be getting eight hours sleep. You should be blah blah blah. Take these supplements. Do this exercise. But I think underneath all of that is finding that stillness within and trying stuff out, right? Just trying it with a, instead of a a mindset of, I should be doing this because some external wise person is telling me that my, you know, source of utopia sits on the side of doing a, you know, four nine class or F45 or something, (laughs) something like that, which are all fantastic. But go try them with an air of curiosity, okay? You do need sleep. So it's advised to get sleep, right? You do need to go and put your devices in another room when you go to bed. Go and put them in the kitchen or wherever is far away from you and invest in an alarm clock, good old-fashioned alarm clock. Because once the temptation is away, you're going to get more and more sleep. So little tools like that. The other thing, actually, is that at nighttime, not only ban devices from your bedroom, which I know is really hard for a lot of people, especially if they're studying and that's where their their offices and, and study is, but... If you are looking at a screen after, say, eight o'clock at night, you're waking up your brain. Like you're, and I don't mean TV here, but you're waking up your brain. You're giving it the message: "Hey, we're still on. We're still on alert now. Come on, let's. We're still playing." When in fact, you're going to need at least an hour or two hours of closing down the day. And that is something that I'd really encourage for you guys as well: is that. To start your day afresh and start a new, healthy, happy day, you need to wash away all the debris of that day, the day before. So it's all like you brush your teeth to get rid of, you know, food from the day, plaque of the day. You need to do some emotional, mental hygiene too, just to clean out the thoughts, the dramas, the this and that, that are go- you don't want to carry on into the next day. And that means that you set aside an hour maybe, or maybe two, and you just do things for you. You dim the lights, you light some candles. You read a book that you've been meaning to read for ages or you listen to some music. You switch off. You get offline. You connect back into yourself. And when you do that, start speaking really kindly to yourself. And that goes for the entire day. One of the major causes of depression is because we don't speak nicely to ourselves. We are mean, really mean. Like we say stuff that you would never say to your best friend because you wouldn't have one. (laughs) They'd go running. So turning that inner dialogue into a nurturing, kind voice. And if that's not possible, just go to neutral. Because every command you hear inside your head, your body follows. Your mind follows it. It doesn't censor it. It just says, oh, we're an idiot. Okay, well, let's just find out 10 reasons to support that belief that we're an idiot. And that's what the brain does. So switch it. Say kind stuff about yourself. Everything counts. So it all starts within you and the way you think about yourself. That is that is an amazing final piece of immediate advice. So I'd like to wrap it up, things up again. Thanks so much for your time, Claire. We know you're extremely busy. So we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, hopefully our listeners got something, not hopefully, I'm positive that our listeners will get something really, really good out of this episode. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Tune in next week for our next episode. Bye.